0: Welcome to the Open Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host.
1: Dr. Heidi Horsley.
0: Well, Heidi, we're going to be talking about some important things and loss and mental illness with an expert in the field. And she not only talks the talk, but she has walked the walk herself. So you're going to receive some wonderful information today on dealing with mental illness and loss. Heidi, would you like to introduce our guest?
1: Sure. Our guest today is Dr. Margaret Chisholm. She is a professor of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins University, and she is the author of the book From Survive to Thrive, Living Your Best Life with Mental Illness. In her book, she talks about her own battle with depression and the loss of her brother and cousin to suicide. Welcome to the show, Meg.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to meet all of you.
0: It's wonderful to have you on the show, and and Heidi and I are very involved with a lot of grief organizations, particularly the Compassionate Friends, and of course Heidi's uh, brother
2: died when she was twenty. I lost my cousin when I was in my twenties, but I lost my brother when I was, um, you know, it was just twelve years ago. I was a clinical
0: nurse specialist in psychiatry when my son was killed in an automobile accident, seventeen. And you know, you talk the talk and walk the walk, and boy, when you have to do it, it's tough, isn't it?
2: Oh, yeah, it was quite a shock.
1: Our our brothers come into our lives at relatively the same time around. And, you know, we we take our journey we, in our life, we, we walk with them through life together. And we expect them to be by our sides for monumental events. And we expect to grow old with them. And we expect to die at relatively the same time. So I mean, I think to lose a brother is is such a significant loss. I don't think People, some people realize how profound it is. And it's like, who am I now that my brother's not here? And I know that you really, you, you acknowledge and validated the significance of the sibling loss and I appreciate that because there's not enough out there, of, you know, not enough people talking about these losses, these kinds of losses, so
2: thank you. Yeah, thank you. well, thank you for sharing your story as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I was wondering um, how you cope with it.
2: It was challenging. Uh, I'm in a department where people are fairly open about their um, illnesses. We have um, a real mission in our department at Johns Hopkins to destigmatize psychiatric illness, and that includes talking about it um, when we're experiencing it or when we've had losses. And we've had people in our department, faculty and staff, who've uh, lost children and siblings and others family members to um, to suicide. So we're fairly open in talking about it. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I think being a mental health professional and losing someone to suicide, there's this extra um, burden, this extra level of guilt that, you know, here we have so much knowledge and expertise um, and still weren't able to, to help our own family member. So th- there is... There's that added layer of professional guilt as well.
0: One of the big things they say is talk about it, you know, tell people about it. Uh, that seems to be a lot of the training for um, dealing with uh, long term grief reactions is you talk about it, talk about it. But how is that for a professional like you?
2: Yes, well, I certainly have talked about it with my colleagues, Um, but this is a question I train a lot of psychiatry residents. I'm the vice chair for education in our department, so I meet um, all of our psychiatry residents and work closely with a handful of them. And this question comes up all the time because many of them have experienced um, episodes of depression. So so it comes up a lot um, when they're treating patients in their training and they're wondering how much do I disclose? And so we usually uh, advise against uh, disclosing these details with our patients. Um, a, because we really want patients and their problems to be at the center of, of our attention, and we don't want to um, intrude on, on that. But, but B, because we can use our experiences uh, to empathize with the patients and to share, have a shared understanding without disclosing the direct experience, Um, because oftentimes patients will compare themselves to us and either discount that, you know, they're somehow different, they're not going to get better from their depression, or why did this work for you and not me, or feel, you know, that there's some distancing that goes on with some of that, um, those comparisons. So, I typically train uh, people not to disclose to patients, but to use the, their experiences to build the rapport with patients. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Meg, I'm just wondering, what do you think that individuals must need after a family member has died by suicide?
2: Well, I think they need hope that life is go- going to go on for them and that they'll be able to make some meaning of this random you know, tragic event uh, that they didn't bring on that no one wished for. So, um, so I think that's the, my main goal as a, as a clinician when I'm helping people cope with loss is to help them make meaning um, from that experience and that somehow not only helps them heal but may even be able to help other people who experience a similar loss.
0: When you say make meaning, what do you mean?
2: I think people will tell stories to themselves to help process the loss. And some of those stories might not be the most helpful. Um, So people might feel, you know, if they're religious, they might feel like they've somehow done something to in their relationship with God to bring this on. Or they might uh, tell themselves stories about things that they could have done to prevent this. Or you know, there, there may be many stories that people tell themselves after a loss that aren't really that helpful. And so thinking about a, a more helpful story, how mm-hmm. can they um, put this into a framework that actually um, can provide a sense of meaning for them? So for instance, um, no one wishes for a loss like this to happen. In my case, for instance, with my brother, um, I was able to process it by saying, okay, how can I use this experience to help other people? You know, I didn't wish this, you know, I, 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 I wish it could have been prevented. Um, I couldn't prevent it. Um, but how can I use this uh, in a way that is going to help someone else? Um, so that's a, a way of making meaning of this tragic event, um, that, and, and I think people can do that in very small ways as well as large ways, right? You, your organization is helping to make meaning of this tragic event that happened in your family, um, but people in small ways, by just disclosing this, their experience to someone else can be supporting someone else. And that's a way of, making, of giving this event some meaning.
1: So, so Meg, I get a question often from people that are grieving and they wonder if they have clinical depression or if they are just grieving and they have a hard time teasing it out. So how could, would they know whether or not it's a depression or a a grief response?
2: Well, it's really hard cross-sectionally, um, meaning if, just taking a snapshot of how someone's looking when they're grieving, it's, it's almost indistinguishable mm-hmm. from um, a major depressive episode. Um, but these, this is why the, I'm, the, we use this diagnostic and stas- statistical manual in psychiatry. And this is why it's not always that helpful because cross-sectionally, people can have trouble sleeping, they can have trouble eating, they can ha- feel uh, sad, uh, weepy. Uh, they might um, have low energy, have lost interest in things. These are all symptoms of depression, but they're all also symptoms of grief and normal bereavement. And it's really um, it's really looking at people over time and to see, you know, everybody's different and everybody's the time that it takes um, someone to work through their grief and and to process it and to start, moving forward, um, um, you know, and picking up after their grief, you know, that varies from person to person. So I don't want to say, you know, if this has lasted a year, you're depressed or anything like that, even though many clinicians want to say that. I would just say that there are some features to depression that are a little different than grief. And some of those are if you're feeling extraordinarily guilty to the point where your thinking is distorted and even those around you are saying no, that isn't making sense. you didn't cause this you didn't um, you know you don't need to punish yourself for this if there's it's really more s- sort of some subtle qualities that um, happen in depression that really aren't seen in normal, you know, bereavement and, and grief reactions. And the kind of sadness is a little different. Um, you know, the, the weepiness can, with depression, it's usually uh, pervasive and sustained. And with grief, it can be more intermittent. There can be times where just out of the blue, you feel weepy um, in um, depression, but with grief, it's really more triggered by thoughts of your loved one, Uh, and it's more a welling up of tears in response to a a memory or a thought. Mm -hmm. Well, I wanted to get to your book. The book is called From Survive to Thrive, Living Your Best Life with Mental Illness, and I have some mixed feelings about having the word mental illness in in the title, um, because really what I'm talking about is mental uh, life And when it goes awry, you know, not every abnormal mental, uh, experience or not every psychiatric, you know, feel symptom, meaning a change in your, your thinking or your feeling or your actions, not everything is due to a disease. And so the way I would frame it is, you know, everybody has a mental life, just like everybody has a physical body. And sometimes there are problems that develop in the physical body. Um, and there's sometimes problems that develop in our mental life. Unlike physical problems, which are almost always related to a broken part or function of the body, sometimes um, our psychiatric problems are mental problems. When our mental life goes awry, sometimes that's because of a disease in the brain or the body, but oftentimes it's because of um, just a uh, normal reaction to a difficult situation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's because of something we're doing, like restricting our food intake or using substances. And sometimes it's just because of our personality, which is neither good nor bad, but in this particular situation, it might be a problem. So I would frame it as, you know, the the book would be helpful for anyone understanding their mental um, life. And if they're having a change in their thinking or their emotions or their behaviors, um, this might help them understand where that's coming from, whether it's a mental disease or someplace else. So I think reframing it as more about mental life and men, and problems in thinking, feeling, and behaviors is broadens it out and makes it a little more, um, I guess, less stigmatizing and also more accessible to people who might feel like they don't have any kind of psychiatric uh, disease
0: well it's a very thoughtful book and if you are feeling some dis-ease in your mind or whatever it's a wonderful book to read because you have some clarifications about what's going on some ideas about what you can do you know uh and uh thinking about we've talked about it today depression whether it's grief or depression uh it's a very clear thinking book, and I highly recommend that people get it.
2: The book is on available on Amazon, but I also have a website for the book, which is margaretchismmd.com. And there are links to various sites that sell the book from there. So yeah.
0: well, thank you so much for what you're doing to clarify our mental state and not make it some kind of a catastrophe that can never be overcome. Or, you know, how do we cope with living with loss and this is, I don't know. It can be a struggle. Life can be a struggle.
2: It can be, uh, but you know, my aim is to really demystify those struggles. These are all parts. This is part of the human condition, um, and to destigmatize these problems. This is part of you being human. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for you being human and for coming on the show today.
2: Uh, thank you so for having me. Pleasure. Thanks.
1: Thank you, Meg. And I love how strength based you are. I love how you're destigmatizing things we are living in a very stressful world a lot of people are feeling a lot of depression i think that like you said your book can really be for a lot of big um, a lot of people out there could benefit yeah. from this because you're talking about not only surviving during extremely stressful times but thriving so thank you so much
2: Yeah, there's some opportunities
0: for growth. Thanks again for being on. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on the show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you
1: find your own. And God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join
0: us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.